Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Patriot Show. I'm your host, Anthony Stephen Malone, The Rogue Warrior. I've got a very special friend I'm going to in introduce the this morning. His name is Chris Thrall. Um, Hello, Chris. Introduce yourself. Um, how are you? I'm good, I'm mate. Chris. I'm good. I'm Chris Thrall. <laughs> the man and the legend. <laughs> well... A legend in my own lifetime, is it? Or legend in my own mind, I think they say. Exactly, mate. You're a very humble man, but you've done a lot and you're, you're, an, you're an inspiration to a lot of people. Um, Chris is a former, he's a veteran, a former Royal Marine com commando. He's he wore the uniform, he's served our country, and he's also done a lot of other interesting things. So, Chris, please tell me a bit about yourself. Okay, so quick synopsis. Joined the Marines when I was 18. Had some uh, enlightening experiences, you could say. Went to on active service in the Northern Ireland conflict. Uh, conducted Arctic warfare and survival training up in the the, the north of uh, north of Norway. And I was very fortunate to spend um, just over a year as part of a 12-man high security detachment on board an aircraft carrier um, where we got to sail a bit about around the world, end up in some exotic locations that I could only have ever dreamt of as a child. Um, sailed to Barbados, believe it or not, which was just, just a dream uh, deployment and we were also the first ship in the Royal Navy to ever have women on board. And um, to say that was a, I'm not sure from a tactical point of view how, how good it was. <laughs> I've got to be careful what I say here, but you know, we had some sort of seven and a half stone wrens that were in the uh, fire parties and the emergency parties and all the stuff you'd, you do on ship and I did used to think my god some of these chief petty officers are, are like 18 18 stone and if we ever did get an exocet come through the side of the ship and they had to carry these uh these big fat fellas up you know <laughs> four four decks to get them in a life raft it, it it's um it just conjured up some 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 interesting questions but we didn't really think too much about that. We, we just uh, enjoyed a certain party atmosphere, you could say, as we were traveling to the tropics. Exactly, mate, oh yeah. Um, I left the Marines. I left because I'd started a business in my spare time. It was a network marketing business called Quorum International. And without boring your listeners with the details, it really took off in Hong Kong and I had the biggest network for this company in Hong Kong and also the it, this was just the start of the Asia Pacific expansion of the company so um, not blowing my own trumpet because it's all it's all just a pretty irrelevant amph to be honest but I was kind of heralded as the next what they call diamond in the company diamond was the top of the compensation plan you know you 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 thought of these guys as the the multi-millionaires you know or at least millionaires and 
And I was, you know, well on target for that. But by the time I put my 18 months notice in, in the Marines and gone out to Hong Kong, the 100,000 US dollars we turned over one month, which I got a, a bonus check for 2,600 pounds for. This was on top of my, you know, thousand pounds I was getting from the military. We're talking 25 years ago now. Um, it had petered down to nothing that the company stopped supplying really good products and a network marketing organization relies on having quality products that not just you can sell as distributors, but also as people in your network can use in their daily lives. So cut along so short, have we been networking toothpaste instead of high-tech consumer electronic products, then we'd have been a lot more successful because everybody uses toothpaste, right? So even if you're not selling it, you as a distributor can use it and those thousand people that I had in my network could have used it and then you make five percent of that of that turnover right so that's just a brief explanation of how this network op marketing operation failed and it left me in Hong Kong um, now no longer a member of the Royal Marines elite now no longer getting a secure payment in my bank every month and all my health care taken care of and you know Military is quite a simple system. So long as you say, yes, sir, even when you don't really mean it, you, you're going to get paid, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'd lost all that. And in addition, I was about £7,000 in debt, having tried to, you know, maintain my failing business for this last 18 months. And... It was an interesting place to be, Anth. You know, I recognized that in myself, so in my psyche, something wasn't right. Yeah. And my way out of that at the time was I, I um, you know, smoked a bit of weed. I've been to, I've been to, you know, lots of parties before on what, what was called the dance scene. So, you know, dancing all night in nightclubs and and uh, popped a couple of XTC pills and this sort of stuff. So what I'm trying to say is I wasn't like, you know, naive to the to the drug world. But in Hong Kong, whilst working in an incredibly boring company, which was almost the the anti of the excitement and kudos you experience in the Marines. Um, very, very boring, very like, what am I doing sat here? I'm just writing letters all day. I mean, that was the kind of limit of my horizon working. I think we had to rock up to work at seven in the morning and we couldn't leave until eight at night. And, you know, you get to thinking, oh my God, where is my life going? Where, where, how am I going to earn some money? What? What am I going to do? And in that moment, somebody introduced me to a drug called crystal methamphetamine. And I had a little, what we call a toke of it, just a tiny little toke, and went back to my desk in the office. <laughs> this was uh, 
a, a colleague of mine, Neil Diamond, who was uh, interestingly, he was a paranoid schizophrenic. Um, and all of us odd bod expats or guaylo as they're called in Hong Kong uh, terms, which mean ghost men. Um, we're, we're all in this odd job job working with this crazy Chinese boss who was just incredibly eccentric, following all these almost like authoritarian rules that he had, like the bloody 12 hour days or 13 hour days, whatever it was, which incidentally wasn't to do like loads of business. It was so when we went home at night, it was too late to start a business of our own and be doing trade with his clients because we were marketing DRAM, which are, which are the computer memory chips. So this was back when personal computers first came on the market and it was all about what processor you had, how much memory you had, right? And our, this crazy old eccentric boss who'd, who'd made his money in the digital watch market back in the seventies, when that kicked off, had transferred to this, this product called memory chips, DRAM, and they sold like bloody hotcakes it, it was a real, almost like trading on the stock exchange, the value of these things. I mean, they actually had gold in them. The architecture inside this little microchip was 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 gold and they traded like gold. And it was a, a, a fascinating thing to get into. But us Guaylos, we couldn't sell anything because we didn't really speak Cantonese. I, I spoke more than most, but we didn't really know how to pick up this phone and then this phone and trade in, in Korea and Taiwan and thailand and europe and 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 the the, uh, the americas you know so in his boring job this this guy neil diamond went chris come and have a smoke of this when we're in the toilet one day and i was like okay so what is it he said it's it's called ice right which is the street name for crystal meth and i said isn't that the stuff that makes people go mental and he went yeah i said I'm in. <laughs> and it won't surprise your listeners to hear, Amp, that, that a, a month later, if not two, three months, I was chronically addicted to this stuff. It, 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 it was the ultimate stress reducer for me. It, it made me leave, I guess, the demons of, of quite a damaged childhood behind and made me feel like the guy that I wanted. I felt cool, calm, um, like not macho isn't the right word, but you know, I'm, I'm a, like a go-getter. As you see from my, my, my history, I like to get out. I like adventure sports. I like doing stupid things. I like being the guy that, Oh, did you see? He's just, you know, I like to live life to the maximum right and this was the, the the chemical for me it was just i thought right i want to live every single day of my life smoking this stuff it's it was just you know i'm, I'm, I'm careful not to 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 sound like i'm trying to sell it here i'm absolutely not i'm just saying this is my life folks you know this is what it's i experienced I it's, it's what you went through it's important yeah i don't expect anyone else to follow my lead um I'm just, as I said to you at the beginning of the podcast, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with my life. And if you meet my son, who's just a gift from freaking mother nature, he's the best kid in the world. 
you'll understand why I'm so glad I've lived my life this way because now I've got him it's it's led me to that point and and he he's he's everything to me right but this didn't mean that at the time I ended up in one chai one chai which people might remember from the film or the book the legend of Susie Wong which is the gangland nightclub red light district in Hong Kong. They don't actually have like red light district, but it's it's lots of oh lots of um nightclubs, yeah. some sleazier than others, some the old topless ones, most of them uh packed with Filipino working girls looking to you know make a buck out the American sailors or, or the tourists. And I ended up living in a crummy old tenement building on the top floor. You wouldn't catch another like white person living there, Westerner living there. It was that crazy. But 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 I love this old. Didn't even have glass in in the windows on 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 the hallways, right? It it did in the flat, but it was it just had iron, ancient iron iron work, and it was just. Every, anybody who's grown up with Bruce Lee will know what I mean when I say I was there living the Bruce Lee, you know, and it and it, I got more into living that Bruce Lee life because I took a job in a nightclub. Unknowingly, it was offered to me by a guy called Dilo, which in in um, in gangster speak, it means big brother, and he was a gang leader for this element of the local triad who ran Wan Chai, they're called the 14K, right? That's the name of the triad. There's several triad organizations in Hong Kong, 14K, Wo Xing Wo, um, Golden Path, I think there's many, right? But in Wan Chai, it's run by the 14K. So unwittingly, Anth, I got myself a job as a nightclub doorman in a club run by the 14K. Right. At the same time that I'm chronically addicted to crystal meth and I'm starting to seriously lose my mental health in terms of um, anxiety, bit of paranoia. Um, I'm phasing in and out of something called clinical psychosis, which is where your reality in your head starts to distort from the real reality, right? So I'm I'm in there and things just got bizarre, mate, because the triads is a conspiracy, right? You know, these are guys that conspire against the government to do their shenanigans, whether it's um, drug importation and selling, cheating the stock market, protection rackets on the local businesses. You know, if you don't pay us this, you're not protected. And we suggest you let us protect you, right? Uh, prostitution, obviously, counterfeiting, robbing jewellery stores. Um, one of my fellow doormen, Daisu, this six foot three guy, was was an assassin, which sounds really like, whoa, bloody Bruce Lee film. But no, he genuinely like used to disappear every few days. Or sorry, disappear every now and again for a few days. And... I was told he that they smuggled him onto mainland China to go and do a hit on someone. You know, he's a paid assassin. 
Um, the other guy that I worked with, Chu Chai, was this cherubic looking chubby triad. And he was introduced to me as a street fighter. And I remember the guy saying, he don't look much, but he'll pick up anything in a fight if he thinks he can smash an enemy over the head with it, right? Which I later, later got to see. So just to clarify, Ant, just so there's no misunderstanding, I was never a triad. I've never claimed to be a triad. That, I, that's not my story. My, my story is a lost young man, joined the Marines to make a go of my life, and it, and it really helped me left thinking, wow, I've got the million dollar, you know, I'm, I'm going to get the Porsche. I'm going to get the big house. I'm, I had a mobile phone, mate, when I was 23, you know, everyone was like, what's that? It's a phone. What? A phone. Yeah. You, you know, back then the first mobile phones, they were these big, they called them, um, bricks right it's yeah this brick yeah, thing. Like that, it? yeah they sat on the center console of your car which back then would have been a rover because they were the you know the car to have and and literally you picked up a handset like a baker light old phone <laughs> and and if you were ultra rich because these things were just so ridiculously expensive you had one of these phones right i had the first one when it went to mobile right I, I can't remember if it was Nokia or I, I, no, I think it was Motorola back then. Right. It was, and it wasn't a brick, but it was like, it was like basically holding something like this with a <laughs> big plastic aerial and, and we needed it, you know, me, me and my business partner, we were doing business in, in, um, in the Netherlands. We had this net, a network in England, although it never really sort of produced much. And then of course we had this massive business in Hong Kong. So, yes, going back to what I'm saying, um, my story is about a, a lost young man that you'd think leaving an elite military force would just go on and do, you know, life would be easy for him, right? But no, I'm having for the first time in my life to really face my demons yeah. and the insecurities that we, we all have, but possibly when you come from a damaged childhood that... that the, the trauma is in there that's a bit more and it it's just pure happenstance that when I was homeless I'd hop my my first Rolex watch um to get this flat and uh, my friends were just starting to desert me and, and you know when, when when you become a bit of a mad person it's it's almost like a bit understandable yeah. And these triads gave me a job, mate. And that was all it was. I did, I was just working in a nightclub. It could have been any. I worked in f three nightclubs by that point. So it wasn't like it was unfamiliar to me. Um, but there I am. Albeit, like I say, I'm not a triad, but I've suddenly got a job with these hard as nails Cantonese street fighters who operate below the radar of the law. They don't give up, you know, yeah. hard nuts, sprawling dragon tattoos, right? And moreover, mate, under Confucius, so Confucius' philosophy, which governs China, there's, there's all these quirky little rules. So worker respects boss. In return, boss must provide for worker, right? That's just one of them. So on my... Uh, one of my first nights in the club. But I tell you, a very bizarre incident happened. I'm sat there 
thinking I'm a doorman, right? Turns out, excuse me. Right. Turns out I wasn't so much meant to be a doorman. I was more a go-between between Eastern face, which is an incredibly important concept in Asia, and Western, Western drunken expat ignorance, right? So give you a little scenario. We'd often get, I'd get a guy come up to me, grabbing me, mate, mate, that fucker there, he's trying to make me pay $10 for a water, right? Some drunken guy in his business suit who's come out of the office and he's got slaughtered, right, with his hooray Henry mates. Um, doesn't realise that guy there that he's, you know, verbally abusing is a triad big brother he's a dilo he he's the most important man in this area and you don't make him lose face by by being rude to him right yeah and my job more was to get these guys and go mate calm the fuck down have a look around you do you see that guy there that one there that chap there and you could spot the triads out because a bit like in the military where you're off duty, you wear a certain kind of civilian uniform. So back in the day, it was your Heli Hansen fleece, your Ocean Pacific T-shirt, your, your faded de denim jeans and your chucker <laughs> boots, right? Yeah. Desert boots, right? You could you can spot a military person a mile away, can't you? You know, um, it was the same with the triads. They had they all wore this kind of like white shell suit. It was back when uh those white england shell suit tops everybody wore and they'd have lots of gold jewelry um they they all wore trainers they'd have a their flashy mobile phone the rest of us just had pages because you know phone calls were free in hong kong so all of us westerners just had pages and if someone paid you you went to the nearest phone in any restaurant or business you just pick it up for free it was no big deal and the, the phone call was free so we all had pages but these triads you know, they get them knocked off Marlborough or, or fake Marlborough faked in China and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And they'd be like, they wouldn't say anything. They just shove a, two packs of Marlborough across the lectern in the club, you know, where you take the entrance money. They go, and this is it. They're looking after me, you know. The boss, give me 500 Hong or. Oh, was it 500 Hong Kong? I can't remember, but he just gave me, he went, he went, you got new flat, no furniture, right? Someone had, everyone, they all talk, mate. They all talk, right? <clears throat> so people know stuff about you. You don't even know who this person is, but they'll come up and go, ah, Chris, so your flat is, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not good at mass amp, but let's just say 500 square feet, right? <laughs> and it, it sounds weird, but in Hong Kong, because space is so premium, how yeah, big your yeah. flat is, is, yeah. is like how good a person you are, right? It, it's your status, right? Yeah. And, and someone had obviously told the triad boss that Chris has moved into a new flat. It's a crummy area of town, no furniture in it. And the boss just went, he never would, never would like, like look at you, Ant, right? Just look and go. And when he did, you, you followed him, right? He's a dilo big brother. He just went to the till took out, I don't know if it's like, say, 500 quid and just went, right? I don't have to pay that back, nothing. It's Confucius, see? Boss yeah. looks after worker and turn book. Yeah. Um, worker, respect boss. 
But on this, one of the first nights in the club, there were two girls, right? The boss, the owner of the club, right? It was a guy called, um, I'm going to call him Peter. And a Dilo was sat drinking and they had two Thai girls that had been sent from another club to like, you know, let's just call it escort them for the evening, you know, be there, be there, the girl on their arm, right? It's, this is how it's done in the red light district. You know, it's all, it's all gangster. It's all this kind of stuff. So anyway, these two Thai girls got up to go to the bar and I thought, oh, they're just getting a drink, right? One of them, bang, just drops on the floor. And her friend just, just starts, just jumps down on her and just starts shaking her, right? I'm there thinking, oh, blooming immature working girls, you know, they were, they were, the Asian girls were, you know, they were a bit playful. And I thought they, they're just showing off in front of their important dates, right? I should say the owner of the club, Peter, He's not, he's not gangster. He's not triad, right? He's just a businessman. He has to pay these guys to run his club. It's just the way it works, right? It's the same in Soho, same in Istanbul. You know, you, you're a club owner, but you have to pay the gangsters to run it, right? And so this girl smacks on the deck. I think that it's horseplay. They're mucking around. And then when I looked at the girl, she's going blue. So immediately I think, ah, drug overdose so I jumped off my bar stool run over push the girl out the way and I, I just um trying to take a pulse right no I'm trying to see she's breathing and I couldn't see that she was breathing so I put my tongue like right right next to her mouth and I could just sense like a tiny breath and I took a pulse and it was something like 180 it was fucking ridiculous so I'm thinking she's had a crystal meth overdose, right? You, you, you can yeah. take so much of it. It's unlikely you'll die, but it can put you into this uh, like coma, right? So I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, right. I grabbed her handbag, I opened it up and I'm looking to see, you know, what, what drugs are in there. So I can tell the ambulance person what she's done and hopefully, you know, save this little angel's life, right? When I looked up, nobody in the club, which was mainly Chinese at that point in the evening, were, were helping me. Worse still, they're all just staring like that, like daggers at me. I don't know why, mate. I don't know if it's the superstition in Asia around death. Uh, I don't know if it's like, it, it could have been a range of things. So the Dilo, the big brother, comes over from the table and I just see his feet appear and I looked up and he says throw her in the alleyway right I'm like the alleyways in Hong Kong it's where you chuck all the rubbish out the back so you've got the skips there for all the bottles and the cans and all, all well it's mainly bottles in Hong Kong right infested with rats just, just like, just like a Bruce Lee movie. I used to bloody love going down the alley, alleyways. I, I, I thought I was like some kung fu ninja at <laughs> night, going home at you know, might be four in the morning, going down the alleyways. Just, I, I was in my element, mate, and I was off my head most of the time. But anyway, I'm like throwing in the alleyway. Are you fucking joking? I ain't doing that. That's, I'm, 
you know, I'm English and I'm British. What do we do if someone is having a whoopsie? You know, we we put a jacket around them. We make sure they're breathing. We put them in the recovery position. We call a freaking ambulance and then we stay with them until the ambulance comes. It's, that's just what we do as British people, right? Yeah. Nah, not in Hong Kong, right? Not. And to, to add some understanding to this, what it is, is drugs is taboo in Hong Kong. I mean, they're pretty much taboo in lots of places around the world. But in Hong Kong, there's this specific psychology. A lot of it goes to Confucius. A lot of it, it, it goes to the Anglo-Sino history. So the Anglo-Chinese history of Hong Kong, how East came to meet West. And they like made a freaking go of it through the, the old... Uh, Chinese Hongs, the trading companies, the Scottish were, were massive in there, right? They got this unique blend of culture, and and it, but it, but it's almost like s separate at times. And this was one of those cases where I didn't know you can do drugs in Hong Kong, right? No problem, but you've got to have made your fortune, right? Yeah. You've made your fortune, the golden shining red fortune, right? You. These are colors that are really important in Cantonese culture, Chinese culture. Gold means successful. Red means successful. You call your business happy, lucky fortune company, right? That's, this is the, the psychology, right? You can take as much drugs as you like, but you've got to have made your fortune first because if you don't, right, you're a loser, right? That is that black and white, right? If you're doing party stuff like drugs and you're not, you haven't made your million, you are a loser, right? So there's that. Then there's the fact that the Dilo is with, with a working girl and she's collapsed in his club, right? To him, he just wants the problem out there. That's why he's saying throw her in the alleyway. He don't want to lose face and be the, ah, that Dilo had a girl die in his club, right? So anyway, I ignored him, Amp, right? Because I'm naive. I, in hindsight, what I should have done is gone, yes, boss, put the girl over my shoulder, run out and jumped in a taxi with her and gone to the hospital, right? But I'm their naive Englishman going, oh, I've got to save this girl's life. And I'm, you know, checking her pulse and all this stuff. English guy come over, went, you're all right, mate. Do you need a hand? He's like one of the, I think it was like the only expat in the club at the time. And I said, yes, mate, can you... Um, nip to the 7-Eleven and call an ambulance, right? 7-Eleven being the corner shop. And he went, yeah, right. And I just said, look, just look, look around you, right? And he looked up and he saw all these faces just looking daggers at us, right? Again, I'm not even really sure why I'm, you know, just that this is not a good situation, right? And n no one, no one. And he went, yeah, I see what you mean, bud. And he disappeared off. And as I turned, I saw him go up the steps of the club and he, he went like that. He, he, he got it, you know. He went and called an ambulance. In the meantime, I'm like, Filipina girl, bar girl walked by. She had a, a parka with a furry hood like we used to wear as kids, right? And I'm like, love, give us your jacket. She went, <laughs> and fucking run out of the club, right? No. I'm guessing she either doesn't want her jacket on a girl who could be dead or 
to that Filipina, that jacket is worth like 20 freaking dollars or 20 quid. She, she, she ain't going to lose it. She's a, you know, all her money goes back to feed her family in the Philippines, right? Something like this. Anyway, it was just adding to the bizarreness of the situation. Daisu, the six foot three assassin, I'm like, Daisu, give me a jacket. She's going to die. And, and he went into the back room. <laughs> he come back with a load of cleaning rags. I'm like, huh, and chucked them on. I'm like, oh, right, okay. Anyway, cut long story short, the ambulance crew came and I said, listen, I, I, I think she's overdosed on amphetamine, right? I wasn't trying to be a hypocrite. I wasn't trying to get the girl in trouble. I'm trying to save her, her life, you know? I'm high on amphetamine, right? Anyway, cut a long story short. In the morning, one of the barmen come over, so a young triad and went, Chris, do you want to come to breakfast? with us right to me it's like wow the family are inviting me for breakfast you know i'm 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 the they're treating me as one of their own and and it was a big like massive ego boost right so we're walking through wan chai it's like a scene from reservoir dogs right we're all walking eight abreast on the pavement all the pedestrians going to work in the morning are just like moving out of our way because this is the the 14k right and um, I sidled up to the, the dialo and I, I said, um, Paul, the girl last night, and again, just looking dead ahead, he goes, mm -hmm. I said, I, I did the wrong thing, right? He went, mm -hmm. I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. He went like that. And I knew that was it. We, we didn't, we never had to speak about that again, right? But that's just one bizarre incident. Um, there were many others, um, for, uh, 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 too many. I mean, if anyone is interested, my book, Eating Smoke, this isn't a punt. It's just if people are interested. That's my book, Eating Smoke, One Man's Descent into Crystal Meth Psychosis in Hong Kong's Triad Heartland. It, it's all in there, and it's a fascinating read. It's interesting. I recommend that to anybody who wants to know anything about the about the triads and the culture out there. Yes, and moreover, mental health yeah. and addiction and psychosis is it, it's just it's all in there, right? I, I don't try and explain it. I just tell you what happened, right? Like the time I stared at eight cats for six hours, thinking they were puppets, right? <laughs> Don't ask. So, Chris, you've been through an extraordinary journey there. Um, from all your experience, because you're, you're a veteran as well, a lot of veterans are going through a hard time at, at, this, at the moment, both in the, in the UK and the United States as well. Have you got a message for them? Yes. Hardship's only temporary. Feelings, thoughts are only temporary. The struggle most people have is we all grow up living in what I call a matrix, right? It's basically a life controlled by the sociopathic elite that, that have controlled the whole show for the last 8,000 years since they, they uh, invented the money system, which is just a system of slavery and debt, right? They own you from birth. 
you grow up, you watch your mainstream media, you believe it, you think this is life, the BBC are telling, be scared of this this week, oh, this week, this you've got to be scared of, oh, this week, you're all going to be killed in your beds by this threat, right? And what happens is we leave the military and we're very much indoctrinated into that matrix, especially, you know, we used to follow in orders and not question it and, and not really knowing much about life, ourselves, spirituality, how to be happy, what, what are the basic ingredients, you know, simple things like every day amp, I smile at the sun, right? Yeah. Gratitude. I'll say mother nature, thank you so much for this life. It's not always easy, but do you know what? I wouldn't freaking change it, you know? You know, I, I'm so glad you've given me this opportunity, right? Little things like that. And so I, I'd say to anyone struggling, you know, the reason you're struggling is you're, you're applying the old school matrix values to your life. You're applying the sociopaths rules who don't care about you. You're aspiring to like having the Mercedes in the drive and the, the Rolex and the, and the um, you know, the two point five and he's, all that's bullshit. Unless you can sit anywhere at any given time in your 24 hour day and go, do you know what? Meditate. I'm so lucky to have this life. The universe doesn't care. It loves all of you equally, right? You are all an equal part of this universe. The problem comes in is because you've been brainwashed by the sociopaths all your life, you're playing by their rules and trying to make sense of your life in their rules, right? Oh, this guy doesn't like me and oh, I haven't got this and I'm overdrawn. Oh, how am I going to pay the bill? Uh, it's just irrelevant. Don't stress it. Yeah. So my, my advice is turn off your mainstream media. This is the channel the sociopaths use to control your life and make you miserable. They want you to be miserable because miserable people go out and buy shit thinking it's going to make them happy. And these sociopaths, they, they control all the corporations. They control all the banks. They want you to go out and borrow money to the max. They want, and all the time you're doing that shit, you're not educating yourself about how brilliant the world really is. Right. Um, so to veterans that are struggling, you are trained to be a warrior. Start being it. Start being a warrior for you. Forget those old rules. They don't work, right? They en ended me up so mentally unwell that I, you know, I was sticking needles in my arms 12 times a day. I, I was crawling across a cable between skyscrapers because I was that unwell. I thought the commando crawl they taught us at Limston was, was to go across this cable between two skyscrapers that you know this is all of that old school matrix laws had made had, had, had allowed me to descend into this utter freaking chaos and madness where nothing made sense and I was lucky it was at that point I, I had my moment of enlightenment my epiphany and I thought ah I get it I get it. Those old school rules and values don't work. Yeah. I've got to start working it out for myself. And it's going to start with, do I want this life or not? Yes. Because lots of my mates are dead. You know, with one lad killed in the second week of Northern Ireland. We had two lads uh, killed in Thailand when they 
they got on the roof of the train they were on it went through a tunnel and they got you know killed in a horrible way mate of mine i was on rear party with at four two commando running away from the police on a drunken silly lads night out jumped off a, a off a wall and landed on a spike right he's gone one lad in training killed in a car uh, lads in norway carbon monoxide poisoning by sleeping in their vehicles with the engine on other lads gone off the side of a cliff in a bv and fallen down a norwegian you know lots of lads amp ain't here now to live to live this wonderful life and i would always be grateful for mine yeah. because i will live it for them you know just just fiddling with my internet here mate saying i've got a bad connection chris it's um, um it's your so, story is incredible yes to try to keep to it short and show, simple mate. yep We'll have to get you back on the show. We're definitely going to have to do a part two, mate, because I am so interested and I know my, yes. my viewers. So to veterans, yeah, veterans, keep smiling. Right, Chris, I think I've lost you with a bad internet connection there. We will get, get back to you on part two. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for watching the Patriot Show. Uh, please watch our sponsors' videos at the end of this. There's some really good sponsors' videos that are all veteran companies. Thank you very much. Take care, everybody.